Today we're in John 15. And we're uh, continuing on in this gospel. It's funny, I used one of the, you know, John was one of the first books that I really dove into with a deep study, and I thought, I thought I might have had it, you know, a little bit of a grasp, and then when we started preaching through it, I realized, you don't, <laughs> so even more study was involved, and you know, we, gosh, we've been on it for a while, we're in verse 15 now, and I think Easter we were talking about, or Resurrection Day, we were talking about how we're not to the resurrection yet, and how from the triumphal entry all the way to the end is just a few days. The last half of this wonderful gospel, and this is a ton of information that Jesus is pouring out. And last Sunday, we began the second part of the farewell discourse, starting here in verse 1 of chapter 15. It started after Judas had left to go take care of his deal. You know, and out of the 12, you know, Judas, if we were ignorant of, of what actually happened, you know, Judas probably wouldn't be at the top of the list of the, of the deceivers. He's, you know, you didn't really hear much about him. And if you really had to pick a deceiver or one that was going to fall away, I, I think we could all agree it would most likely have been uh, Peter. So, you know, Peter was kind of always putting his foot in his mouth. He even rebuked our Lord to his face. You know, like, you know this is not, no, to, to Christ, the, the Lord of glory. He rebuked our Lord. And, and you know, honestly, that, that, that would, be my, would have been my pick. So this more likely candidate, Peter, you know, he, he, he was just like Judas at the feet of Christ learning. Um, serving, ministering, and then Judas ends up being the one uh, that's the betrayer. And all the disciples, and I, I don't think Judas was one of them, but the other 11 disciples in Matthew, when when Judas, or Jesus, not Judas, Jesus says that we're, there's going to be a betrayer among you. All the other disciples were like concerned. And Matthew's like, is it me, Lord? Is it every one of them? Is it me? They're They're worried. Because they they weren't full of pride, they they were. That's evidence of, of salvation. They, they they realized that their their lack, they were lacking in something, and they were concerned that they were going to be this one that turned on Christ. Their hearts were were deeply troubled over this. So serving alongside and ministered to, he was ministering to people. Uh, Christ, he studied, he was at the feet of the Lord of Glory, learning, and yet still it wasn't enough. Um, chapter 14 tells us that you know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He promises the Father hears and answers prayers in chapter 14. He reveals the Father by saying, if you know me, you know the Father, we're the same. You know, the, the Muslims like to say that there's no evidence that Jesus ever claimed to be God. It's right here. Right here in John. The Holy Spirit is promised. The indwelling of the triune God, you know, we indwelling of the triune God occurred and he's explained in chapter 14 the gift of peace is promised now this question is how does someone that, that seemingly had, that had genuine faith like Judas how did he fall away how 
that this person that served alongside Christ and and ministered and was ministered to and with the eleven disciples. And the short answer, he was he was dead. He was he was a dead branch on the vine, the true vine, which is Christ. He was cut off by the vine dresser, the Father. He did not abide in Christ. He could not bear fruit of repentance. This was from the days of old. This was set in stone. It was, it was to be this way. The significance of the vine is a common theme throughout the scriptures, and it's often negative in the Old Testament. If you look at Psalm 80, Verse 8, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow, the mighty cedars and the boats, and sent out boats to the sea and the branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by will pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it, and the wild beast of the field devours it. This is not good. This was a dead vine. This was the vine that God planted. This was Israel. Isaiah. Chapter 5. Now let me sing a well-beloved song of my beloved regarding this vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it. With the choicest vine, he built a tower in its midst. He also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I've not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled on. I will lay it to waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come briars and thorns. I will also command the, cl the clouds they, that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. This is Israel failing. This is Israel's sin. We're bringing forth this judgment. Jesus, the true vine, has believers, branches. This is what we're learning today. The branches bear fruit. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's no such, there's, there's no way that you can be a fruitless Christian. It's not possible. John the Baptist commanded his hearers to bear fruits of repentance back in Matthew. Jesus warned of the fate of those that did not produce fruit back in Matthew 7. So we abide in Christ and we are fruitful and apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We're spiritually dead and nothing we can do is acceptable. It's not possible. There are times, of course, in which we lack. Um, we understand this. But ultimately, we will continue to bear fruit. James, 
tells us that faith without works is dead. And a lot of people had a problem with James back in the day because it, it says works instead of fruit. And it was even called an epistle of straw. So if you go to James and you replace the word uh, works with fruit, it flows perfectly. Faith without fruit is dead. And this huge, huge misconception of, of fruit is, is outward, outward things. Uh, large buildings, you know, ministries that, you know, uh, programs, huge, huge things that, that churches put on, events or whatever. You know, our old church, they used to, to throw these big things and they'd bring in this big, not even a, like a Christian speaker, but like they would bring in somebody that was famous and, they, you know, they, they, uh, they would have they would be questioned about why they would pay all this money to have all these people, these people come in for this reason. And, you know, the answer was always, well, you know, we're fishers of men. We got to have bait. You know, we, we, we put out that bait and bring these people in and then we give them the gospel. And it was often, um, fruitless. Um, the thing is back in, in old Testament times, a fisherman used a net. The net is the gospel. You throw that out and then, and then, People will come in. These, these men will come through your labors. I was in a restaurant, and this, this lady had seen another man praying over his meal, and he, he, she had made mention, like, you know, it blessed me to see you praying, you know. And uh, I see that. You know, I see people praying over their food, and I, I think, well, there's one of my brothers or sisters, you know. And, but his answer was, I like to pray in front of people, so... I can demonstrate my faith. And that's a horrible attitude. Not, not thank you, Lord, that you provided food for me to be able to live. Not thank you, Lord, that you provided this food that I may live and live unto you, that I may serve you and bring glory and honor to you. It was I just wanted to show other people how religious I was. It's, it's pharisaical. It's like, thank God I'm not like those other people that don't pray over their food. You know, it's the same thing. And a lot of times, you know, People pray in front of others, and it's it's very mechanical, and it's it's you know you have a set criteria, and you have to hit every one, and you know we got you know trying to show people how it's done, or look at me, I'm I've got it figured out. Learn from me. When we pray, we should be praying. I'm not the most eloquent prayer. I I come in reverence, try to in front of a holy God, and make requests or petitions or give honor or or glory to Him in prayer as a child, an ignorant child. And sometimes we, we like to put on a show, you know, yeah. be like me, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about you. It's not about a show. It's, it's about you communion with the Holy God. We can, we can turn on a TV if we want to show, if we want to be entertained. It's nowhere, fruit is nowhere related to superficial outward things that any any cult or other world religion it's you know in those things what you're doing is you're trying to appease god god has already been appeased through the work of christ there's nothing left for you to do but to honor him works-based appeasement it's not it's not a thing genuine fruit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control these things are internal this is not an external display this is where it starts. These things come from within you via the Holy Spirit. And it's an outworking of that Holy Spirit in which we serve and, and grow and, and we're sanctified. The Spirit working within us through the Word and in prayer. We're growing into 
little Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. It was, it was a derogatory thing, but we took it and ran with it and made it something great. Or God took it and ran with it and made it something great, I should say. Praise is another fruit of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15, I'm going to get some more. You guys can turn me. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let's just read the next one. But do not forget to do good and to share, for which, with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Praise. Sacrificial love is the fruit of the Spirit. John says in the epistle of John, 1 John, that whoever has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and shuts his heart from him, does the love of God abide in him? We're to help. It's the outpouring of love. It's the outpouring of our salvation is genuine love and concern, especially the brothers. So this love does not abide in anyone who has the world's goods and doesn't offer it to someone in need. It's, that it does, it's not possible. Ephesians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is in all righteousness and in truth. The fruit of righteousness comes through Christ. Philippians 1.11 Why? He's divine. He's the source of righteousness. He's divine. He created us in Christ Jesus for all good works which he had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 This is the outpouring. This is the vine doing its job, producing fruit. Apart from him, nothing. We can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. The negative side of it. A branch of the vine has only one job produce fruit to do these things Ezekiel 15 1 through 5 then the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood the vine branch which is among the trees of the forest is wood taken from it to make any object? Or can man make a peg from it to hang any vessel on it? Instead, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fuel devours both ends of it, and its middle is burned. Is it useful for any work? Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned? Fruitless branch. It's good for nothing but fire. You can't make. You can't even have a, hang a picture on it. It's, it's what he's saying here. So agriculture teaches us that you know if you have a plant, especially a fruit-bearing plant, you have to prune it. You you cut back non-fruit-bearing branches. It's, it's it's necessary for a healthy plant to yield more fruit. It's those branches are just robbing nutrients and producing nothing. So the, the vine dresser prunes away these branches that yield no produce, and in turn the plant is overall healthier. And in this analogy teaches that people are pruned from the vine. 
So these would be false converts. In First John, it says that, that you know they left from us because they were never of us. This is this is a group of people that are in the church. He's described as tares among the wheat in other places. The the the, the seed that was sown on the on the poor ground. Um, it's all the same thing. The um, the thing is, there's going to be you know there's only two types of people in the world. There's believers and unbelievers. It's literally it. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. The judgment is much more severe for, for someone who, that was close, as, as Judas was. His, his, his punishment is much more severe because he had tasted those heavenly things, yet denied them. So that's a warning to us as believers to abide in Christ, as to abide in Christ. And Jesus also promised... That all true believers he will by no means cast out. John 6. So the ones that are cast out are false disciples. They hang on for a little while, ultimately worthless. As Josh mentioned last week, uh, Armenians sometimes point to this section to say that you can lose your salvation. And it's something to think about. We inherit everlasting life, correct? Somebody can say amen. And, uh, Everlasting is not temporary life, <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of strange that you know you you pray this prayer, you you sign this card, you join this church, and congratulations, you you inherited in, in eternal life and everlasting life, and then uh, I guess you whatever happens, you fall away for maybe it's for a season. They don't even know, but all of a sudden you lost your salvation. So. How can something that's everlasting become temporary? It's, it would have to be impossible. Something temporary could be made everlasting because we see that in salvation. That's a, that's a given. So abiding in Christ frees us from the judgment of God eternally. It's not a thing anymore. We, we rely on his love. We live in fellowship with him and, and bear the fruits of righteousness, the fruit of obedience. This is genuine faith, the outworking of the fruits of the Spirit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. All right, from Armenian to prosperity gospel. Here we go, right there in one verse. That's great. So, other false teachers, I'm sorry. I'm just, so, if you abide in me, keyword if, you know, this, there's confidence, there's confidence in prayer. You can have this confidence. In my words, plural here, you've got two preconditions. Us and him, his words and us, his words abide in us, and our desires are aligned with his desires. So whatever we ask in his name, he will do it because they're aligned with his desires. Uh, can you ask for frivolous things? Obviously, yes. Uh, it doesn't. But the, if they're not aligned with his, his desires and ultimately bring him glory, then that's not going to happen because his glory is at the forefront. The highest call in the universe is to bring God glory, right? It says it right here. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and you, so you will be my disciples. This is the highest calling. It's the believer's privilege and duty to do that. If Christ's words abide in us, and we will naturally desire the things of God. Thus, his glory is displayed. So our desires become... They're outworking and fruits, and then his glory is on full display for the world to see. 
the works of Satan are, are trampled under feet. And to the, to the unregenerate, the law is a burden. They hate the law. We were talking about that in the, in the youth class a little bit. It's a burden. They, they can't stand it. But the law of a child of God is a blessing. If you look at Psalm 119, very familiar here. Verse 97, as you scroll for three days to get to it. Oh, how I love your law. It is my medita meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because of your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Again, be in the word. Josh mentioned it last week. Study. The Spirit applies this word. Your prayers will be aligned with God's desires. He assures us that his prayers will be answered to the praise of his glory. The Apostle Paul in Romans wrote, I will not presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. The Heidelberg Catechism, the very first one, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Ephesians 4, 1 tells us that we're to walk worthy of the calling in which we were called. And in some translations, that, that word for calling is translated vocation as in job. So, what, do your job. This, these are the things that you do. Walk worthy of the vocation. Either way, it indicates a duty. This is what you're to do. And it should be joyful. If someone says... I'm an electrician and I can't wire up a circuit and make the lights come on. Am I an electrician? No. It's not true. I've taken the name of electrician in vain. It's not. It's worthless. I'm worthless as an electrician if I can't do those things or the things of an electrician. Same with God. If you take the name Christ, if you take the name Christ and you don't produce fruits of righteousness in Christ, if you're not abiding in Christ and those fruits are not evident in your life, you just took the Lord's name in vain. Everybody thinks it's that bad word that we don't want to say or we hate hearing. It's not. Well, it is. But a greater taking of the Lord's name in vain is to call yourself a Christian and not produce fruits. That's a much more dangerous place to be. So we keep in, in with our calling, God is glorified. We bear, we bear much fruit. And then comes assurance. Say, so you be my disciples, Jesus says here. And Paul tells us to examine ourselves daily to make sure we're in the faith. You know, God's word is like a mirror. We look at it, we see where we're a little, we're a little dirty. We've got to clean that up. That's in James. Our sanctification is, is ongoing. It's continual from the moment of salvation all the way up until we die. That's why we should desire to be in the word to make us more Christ-like by the Holy Spirit. We made more like the Son of God. 
to the glory of the Father. It's reciprocal. We're in the Word, the Spirit applies it. We're more like Christ. God is glorified. Fruits. It's all it's all a process. It's nine through eleven here. As the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. It's a promise that those that abide in him will experience his love. The same love that the Father has for him. This perfect love. This is the love of God to the Son. We, we can have this same love. He says, I have also loved you and abide in my love. Abiding in his love is the keeping of the commandments. Abiding means to stay, to, to, to stay with, to keep. Keeping of the commandments, the same commands we, which he kept, the commandments of the Father. Obedience is the key that unlocks the blessings of God. The ultimate blessing of, of joy is the reason of this discourse. That's what it says here. He says, my joy as an obedient son receives the blessing of the Father. It will remain in you. Joy is the blessing unlocked by obedience. Because we're abiding in Christ. David in Psalm 51, he pleaded for his joy to be restored. This was after his great sin with Bathsheba. You all know the story. And uh, his, his heart was right. You know, a lot of people... A lot of people in sin, they're, they're, uh, they're upset with the consequences of that sin. You know, they're, they're upset that, you know, this bad thing happened to me because I, I sinned. It's not, they're not upset about the sin. It's having a right heart in relation to, in understanding that you, you sinned, you messed up. And First John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. It's ongoing. Judas, he did not, he didn't bear the fruit of genuine repentance. It wasn't there. It's just one of the many New Testament examples. Judas wasn't the first to leave. You know, when, when Jesus was teaching, he said, he who eats my blood and drinks, eat, drinks my blood and eats my flesh are my disciples. And everybody looks like, all right, this is weird. And then a bunch of them fall away. And then Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And what does Peter say? You have the words of life. Where are we going to go? We're here. Peter, the rest of the disciples, they abode in Christ. They stayed. They were abiding in Christ. Salvation is, is a work of the triune God from beginning to end. All of it. So many people were in the presence of Christ. The Pharisees, Judas, the false disciples that turned away, the ones that just wanted to be there to get fed. They weren't genuine disciples. In, pre in the presence of the God of glory, the Lord of glory, he, he owns glory. It's his. Lord means one that's over, over glory. In the very presence of this living God that came in the, presence, in the likeness of man, in their presence, and they could not in and of themselves conjure up the faith to believe in him which is an Armenian view. Faith does not come from within us. 
For we say by grace through faith, and that not of works is a gift from God. Salvation, grace, faith, all gifts from God. Lest any man should boast, we can boast of nothing in and of ourselves. The living word was not applied to their hearts. By the Holy Spirit, it was impossible. Spiritually dead, unable in and of themselves to do anything. We've said it over and over and over. What can dead men do? Stink. Rot. This is why we should be ever more grateful and respond to this great salvation to which we have. For Christ, for God, for no particular reason other than to glorify himself, chose us, bought us, purchased us out of the marketplace of sin for no particular reason. We could have been a Judas or any of the other false disciples that have fallen away. You ever think about that? People say, you want to I want to win the lottery. You want it if you're, if you're a child of God. No other reason. One of the commentaries I was reading was, it might be speculation, it might not, but it was, at this particular time, they may have been making their way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, if I can speak, and that they would have passed the temple. And there was a golden vine over the temple. It was the temple entrance, and that Christ may have been using this as an example of that golden vine, him. And Josephus records that vine uh, that was there as they, they were making their way to the, the garden. And he's comforting Christ, knowing he's about to die. And not, not too far down the road, he's, he's going to perspire blood out of anxiety, extreme anxiety. And it's because he knows what the wrath of God is like. He's the only person that has walked on this earth that knows what the wrath of God is like. You ever considered that? No one else could know on this side. So he knew that and walked head on into it to redeem a people unto himself for the praise of his glory for no other reason. So our Lord, knowing full well the wrath of God was about to go head first into it. Like I said, his anxiety brought blood to the surface. He perspired, he sweat blood. And at the moment when his wrath was being poured out. He pointed us back to Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? In the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised by the people. All those who ridicule me shoot out the lip 
They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. 